Just a friendly reminder that if you wish to support the ministries of this podcast or the local church in which I serve, you may send any donations to 563 East Main Street in Philadelphia, Mississippi, 39350, care of Henry's Chapel, UMC. So over the past few weeks, we've looked at spiritual disciplines and we've focused on how those spiritual disciplines can help us to understand who it is that God created us to be, who it is that God is calling us to be. And we've looked at things such as searching the Scriptures and hearing God's truth and hearing God's Word spoken to us and through the Scriptures. We've talked about the idea of fasting, of giving up those things uh, so that we may have space in our heart for God to come and live and dwell and guide us. We've talked about the idea of prayer, of hearing God's voice, of being having that open line of communication with God. And this week we're going to look at one that I think we all, a spiritual discipline that I believe that we all need, but that if you're like me, you probably don't practice very often, or well at least. And it comes to us from the idea of Genesis at the very beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 31, we hear these words. It says, God saw everything that he had made. And indeed, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning on the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. And we learned last week that hallowed means making it holy. Because on it, God rested from all the work that he had done in his creation. And so this week we are going to look at the spiritual discipline of Sabbath or of rest. And like I said, rest is one of those things that I feel like we all need. I know I need, but I seldom get it. I'm bad at making time for rest. And even when I do make time, I find myself filling it with other things. And I can recall growing up that this idea of Sabbath made me oftentimes think of a time of isolation, of, of going off and secluding myself. And the reality is that I started thinking about that if Sabbath was about separating ourselves from everything, then I didn't really want it. But the reality is that Sabbath is not a call to isolate, it is a call, but it is a call to solitude. And those are two very different things. Because isolation is a call to hide our true selves. It's a call to go and be alone. Whereas solitude helps us to become who we truly are. It's to go and to be, and to be present with God. Isolation happens in a response to fear. We go and we feel, we feel afraid, so we pull back, we isolate ourselves. Whereas solitude is a response to faith. It's saying, God, I know that when I'm alone with you is when I feel who I truly am. Isolation is a call to withdraw from relationships, where solitude is a call to withdraw for our relationships, is to, to make ourselves healthy and to make ourselves feel whole so that we may engage in relationships more fully because we are more fully being ourselves. And I, I recall coming across a book by A.J. Swoboda, and it's called Subversive Sabbath. And in the foreword, which was written by a doctor friend of his, um, 
they, they, we hear this description, this discussion of doctors and their stethoscopes. You know, the stethoscopes that are used to hear the heartbeat, to check on the heart when you go to the doctor. It, and he starts talking about this idea of before that there were stethoscopes, what did they do? And the reality is it's very simple. They would go to a quiet place and they would place their ear on the chest of those that were ill and they would listen. And then we, he, they point us to John chapter 13, where we hear in that chapter, we hear about Jesus washing the feet. We hear about the Last Supper. We hear about Judas's betrayal. But in verse 23 of John 13, we hear about John, the disciple John. And it says, Now leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of the disciples whom Jesus loved, and this is John, leaning listening to the very heart of God, resting his head on the chest of God and listening to the heartbeat of Christ. Don't you wish that you could just lay your head down on the maker of the universe? Just listen to the heartbeat of God. Listen to what it is that calls God. Listen to the, how, what it is that pushes God's heart. Don't you wish that you could lay all your problems down just for a moment, and rest. Rest with and in and through God. Maybe this is what Sabbath is. True Sabbath is an invitation to rest with, in, and through the Lord, to truly hear God's heartbeat. Sabbath is that call to quiet the outside, which makes a quieting of the inside more possible. When we cast out all the noise of our world, we can truly begin to hear what is going on inside of us, the rhythms in which our heart is beating to. And we'll be able to hear God more clearly in the crowd when we have learned to hear His voice in the quiet. Or as Augustine is quoted as saying, Thou hast made us for Thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee. See, this is the problem. And for me, this is one of those reasons that rest is so difficult is that we are seeking rest in so many other things and what we are, we are called to find rest in God. In Psalm 90, in verses 1 through 12, let's hear these words. It says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world from everlasting till everlasting. You are God. You turn us back to dust and say, Turn back, you mortals, for a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it is past, or like a watch in the night. You sweep them away. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and it is renewed. In the evening it fades and it withers. For we are consumed by your anger, by your wrath we are overwhelmed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your countenance. For all your all our days pass away under your wrath. Our years come to an end like a sigh. The days of your of our life are 70 years or perhaps 80 if we are strong. Even within their span is only a toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. So teach us 
to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. And so what this ultimately is telling us is it's pointing us to the reality that in God's time, we are, our earthly lives are but a breath. As we look at the, the countenance of everlasting to everlasting, as we look at that time span of ever, it is but a speck. But we are called to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, from everlasting to everlasting. But in verse 11, it gets very interesting. It says that, Who considers the powers of your anger? Your wrath is as great as the fear that is due it. This translates really kind of to more of a, if we could see God as he is, we would give him the proper reverence. It's that idea that we that if we look at it, we can we can see, oh God, Dwayne, what you act seems angry to us. Uh, your 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 wrath is as great as the fear that is doing. It's that we we are called to be reverent towards you, especially this small slice of time that we are given in our earthly lives. We should give you reverence. If we could see God as God is, then we would be more careful with what we do with our time, with the time in which we are allotted. We view the context of our lives as simply birth to death, as the time here on earth, because it's all that we can see. But what Moses is pointing us to in this psalm, what we hear is that our life is from everlasting to everlasting. You see, the reality, as I've heard it said, is that we have a point of view. We can see the instance in which we find ourselves, the presence in which we find ourselves. And even at the end of our lives, as we look, we see the point of view from this small speck of time that is our earthly life. Whereas God has a view. God sees all of eternity. God sees everlasting to everlasting. In verse 12 is the application of what that all means, where it says, we live as if our days are not numbered. It says, teach us to count our days that we may gain a wise heart. It's a call to to learn to live as if your days are numbered. See, we live in a world that says, I I, I live like I'm going to live forever. But the reality is, what would it look like if we were, if we realized that our days were numbered and learned to live in such a manner, which sounds morbid, but the reality is, is it would call us to more embrace each day for all that it is. It gives us wisdom and what we must put into our lives, and what we must take out. We, we understand this idea with money and with other things, but not with time. We understand when scarcity of money hits, we understand that we must put together a budget on how we can spend. When scarcity of stuff hits, when we're starting to run low on food or whatever, we learn that we must ration it out, but we don't understand that with our time. I can recall one of my first trucks was a 1978 Dodge. And the gas gauge on this Dodge was busted. And when I say busted, it read that it was empty at all times. Even if you filled it up, it still read as empty. And I can recall driving down the road one day. And I knew that it had been a minute since I had filled it up. But I I ran out of gas. And when I say I ran out, the car, the truck went dead. And I had to call my dad and say, Dad, I'm on, I'm on empty. And he's like, of course you're on empty. You're always on empty. No, Dad, the truck is dead. It's out of gas. And he 
had been on me since the beginning to kind of fill up the tank and see how long it would last so that I would have a general idea as to when I was on empty. And so he said, didn't you realize that you were running out of gas? And the reality was I've absolutely not. Because had I realized I was running out of gas, I would have filled it up. I would have done what I needed to do to, to conserve the gas. I, I knew that I was empty when it all came to an end. But if I knew that I was running on empty or getting close, I would have done something about it. We all know as we look at our lives and as we look at the way in which our world works, we know that we have limited time, yet we don't do anything about it. We continually run ourselves into the ground, beat ourselves up, never seeking guidance or rest or what is the best way for us to live our lives. And the reality is I think it stems from a fear. Fear is that driver of us filling up our schedule. Fear is the thing that drives the majority of our lives. And for many of us, it sounds like this. Well, if I don't do that, I'm afraid that this may happen. If I, don't, if I don't go and do this, I'm afraid that X may happen. If I don't go do that, I'm afraid this may happen. And it's a FOMO. It's that fear of missing out. It, for me, it, come, it may constitute in the idea of the fear of letting others down uh, because oftentimes I find myself being a people pleaser. So it may sound like this. If I don't do that, then I'm afraid that I will let someone down. But what God in my quiet times and in my Sabbath and in my prayer has shown to me is that God is the only one who can be all things to all people. But too often I find myself putting this on my own shoulders. I, I, or maybe for you it's the fear of being dispensable because we equate busyness to worth. And so we find ourselves that if we keep doing, 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 then people will think that we are, have value to them. And so we continue to do and do and do to give ourselves worth, not realizing that our worth is not dictated by our busyness. Our fear of missing out on, what, on the things that don't really matter draws us away from what matters the most. We have become so enamored with building up our own and working on our own kingdoms that we refuse to take rest in the kingdom of God. We are so built, so worried about building up and making a name for ourselves and making sure that our name is glorified. But as we talked about last week in looking at prayer, God's name is the one to be glorified. God's name is the one to be hallowed, not our own. God's kingdom is the one to be built, not our own. God's ways are better than ours. But we find ourselves equating busyness, equating what we can do and provide to where our worth is found. And as I heard from a commentary, to act as if the world cannot get along with our work for one day and seven is a, star is a startling display of pride. And it defies the sufficiency of God. It's to say, God, I, you can't use me enough in those six days, so I've got to give it the seventh, even though you call me to give that seventh day to you. And it's how prideful are we that we feel like the world will not go on spinning if we take a day to rest in God 
to test that promise that yes, you are worth more than what you can produce. And that even if you spent one day being good for nothing, you will still be precious in God's sight, as Barbara Brown Taylor says. You see, the reality is we can hear this idea of Sabbath and we go, well, what good is it? Why do I need to worry about it? And the reality is, is more and more in our world, what we see is burnout of people that are continually going, going, going because they have equated their worth to their busyness. They have equated their worth to what it is that they can produce. And what God says is, no, your worth is in what I say you are worth, which is my very life as I gave Christ to come and die for you. In his book, Choosing to Cheat, Andy Stanley calls us to really analyze what it is that we are called to do and that we have to choose how we will lay out our schedules. We have to choose what it is that we are going to do. And the reality is, is that we have to choose to cheat because there is not enough time that we must choose what is going to get the majority of our time and that we are called to give up time that for those things that do not matter in the grand scheme of our calling to give more time to those things that do. You see, I've never met anyone that at the end doesn't say, I wish I had more time. For often, though, it's not the idea of, I wish I had more time to work. I wish I had more time. I wish I would have spent more time in the office. I wish I would have spent more time for making a name for myself or for my business or whatever. It's, I wish I would have spent more time with my family. I wish I would have spent more time in the scriptures. I wish I understood who I was called to be. I wish I knew better who God created me to be. Sabbath is about trust. It's a call to not fear and act out of fear, but to act out of trust. We trust in God. I can recall growing up, we spent every waking moment we could outside. And so often you would find yourself spending those hot summer days outside with friends and you would grow so thirsty that maybe you don't do this anymore, but we would drink from the hose. We would run around and get so thirsty that if we found a water hose, we would just sit there and just drink as much as we could off of it. And it was so good. Why is it that water is the best when you're exhausted and when you're, when you're almost dehydrated and when you've just been running around all day, sweating all day, the water just tastes so good. It's the best it's ever tasted. This is what Sabbath is. It's that taking a break from the running and the hustle and the bustle of life, of the sweating in, in, in that moment, and just taking that break and drinking in from the fountain of living water. Drinking in, resting in God, abiding, putting our head on on the chest of Jesus Christ and hearing his heart beat for us. Hearing his call. It's acting in faith and trusting in who God calls us to be. It's taking a moment and resting in God's truth and resting in God. Amen and amen.